And there could not ever be a less qualified man <laughs> because everything he says sounds like <sighs> it's it's like this man's voice cannot carry through people like attacking each other. Hello and welcome to the death of the Roman Republic's review of the 2005 HBO original series, Rome. This episode we are covering season one, episode two, long episode name, how Titus Polo brought down the Republic. Last episode, I had taken points on describing what had been going down. This episode, one of our hosts, Cole, is going to take points in describing what happened this episode. So Cole, why don't you kick us off here in terms of how did Titus Polo bring down the Republic? All right, I can go ahead and get us started. So. We start, and we get a little little shot of the camp. It is winter near the border of Gaul and Italy. A slave comes in and tells Caesar that three more of his men have deserted him. Now that the fighting is over, everyone in the camp wants to go back home to see their, their wives, their children, their families, blah, 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 blah. Caesar says that the men who left are all outcasts and idiots and believes that the good men, the true sons of Rome that are loyal to him, will remain and they will not run. They will fight for him still. Make Rome great again. Exactly. (laughs) His term as consul will be up this coming January. Also, I don't know if we ever get a full like time frame of like what month it is aside from winter, but it's within like a couple months that this is going to be up. Yeah, it it talks about that later that episode. I think like one specific his term uh, commanding will be up. Yeah. Yes. When I was watching this beginning of this episode, I got a major, major Palpatine vibes from Julius Caesar in terms of wanting to stay in office post a war being over and him overstaying his term while the war was going on, similar to what Palpatine did during the Clone Wars. Do, do you think Bruno Heller, creator of HBO's Rome, watched Star Wars prequels? <laughs> do you uh, think probably. Rome was based on Star Wars? <laughs> It's like poetry. It just sort of rhymes. Exactly. <laughs> That's an evergreen quote. Yeah, yeah. Cole, Cole, what else was going down this episode? So uh, Caesar wishes for Mark Antony to be elected as the People's Tribune so that he has another uh, position of power that uh, an ally of his holds. And he has a lot of money set aside so he can bribe the correct people to ensure Antony gets the position. The slave he is speaking to is worried about how suitable Antony is for this role. Because as we know, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's a bit much. Yeah, he doesn't seem like quite the political type. He will irritate. Yes. And Caesar thinks about it and agrees with the slave and elects to send, uh, I believe it was another slave named Strabo, but they, they didn't actually name drop him as a slave, so I wasn't sure. But they send yeah, Strabo to keep an eye on him. Yeah, yeah, you're right on that, Cole. There was another dude, Strabo, and I don't know if he was a slave or not, but... Um, he was yeah. in episode one, too. He, like, was the one giving the talons of gold to Mark Antony, wasn't he? I, I, I don't... You, you saw it three times, Jacob. <laughs> yeah, come on, but, Okay, this, this moment is really funny. There's a lot of funny moments in this episode, like we kind of talked about before the show. Um, it's just a really masterful editing, because uh, Strabo's like, oh, are you sure Mark Antony is good for yes. this? Blah, blah, blah. We'll send someone to make sure he behaves Hard cut. Cuts with Anthony immediately uh, proving him correct. 
<laughs> having sex with uh, assumedly some shepherd who was off on the side of the road just behind a tree. Yeah. And uh yeah, I phenomenal. I my own I have a note here. I was just like, "Oh, they just stop in the middle of this trail. They stop in the middle of it. Everyone's just still standing on the trail just so Mark Antony could have sex." Yeah, everyone is just waiting there. Uh, I'm certain that Antony made them all stop because he saw a pretty lady and so they're just sitting yes. there waiting for him. And this is a, all the people here are, are heroes, Polo and Varanus, as well as Octavian, Caesar's yeah. nephew. And they all just have to Octavian has wait. been seeing a lot of lewd things. <laughs> I'll tell you what, this boy. Antony finishes up and then they return and Antony is beloved by the people. We, we cut to Atia at the Julii estate and she discovers Octavia and Glabius together hidden in I I wasn't quite sure if it was Octavia's bedroom or if it was just a side room. Either way, Adia is furious and demands that Glabius leave. And Glabius ha- has his whole spiel about how, yeah, no, I love her. I'm not leaving. And Adia ba- just shuts him down and says, you will be crucified if you come back here. And then she yells for the slaves to get the dogs to come kill him. And then, yeah, like I, Octavia says that she hates Adia, and then Adia straight up like slaps her across the face, right? Yeah. Slaps the heck out of her. My that that was pretty was. hardcore. I did want to note here, Cole, do you guys remember the last thing that uh, Antony said to Octavian before he said, get lost? Oh, it was something like, uh, I, I, I got it right here. I got it right here. Yeah, he's like, boy, tell your lovely mother I'll see her later. And then, That's like, right. Octavian gives this, like, quizzical expression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew it was something about uh, Anthony having sex with his mom. Yeah, I kind of, my note here for that, I was just like, oh, Mark seems to have been, before this war, a concubine for... I uh, don't think concubine is the right word. Boy got around. That That's what we'll say. Yeah. And, and continues to perhaps but uh, i uh, i have a a joke here that i was really proud of for this whole scene where adia slaps octavia and it said that octavia is very angry with her mother she seems to think she's in romeo and juliet when in actuality she is in romeo and juliet but but the shakespearean version not what every teenage girl thinks romeo and juliet is mm-hmm. yeah it's pretty hardcore mm-hmm. i i noted here goes octavia feeling things again (laughs) she she clearly doesn't know where and when she is she needs to put a stop to that Uh, we then cut to polo and varanus they are returning octavian to his mother and they have a a surprisingly heartfelt reunion she's happy to see him i i wasn't totally sure she actually cared about him all that much but hey pleasantly surprised for once oh no yeah he walks in and she's like my baby boy, my poor rabbit. That's it's so mm. weird and endearing. And then Adia, I, I wrote this down too. She's like, she asks, was it terrible? And it doesn't give him a chance to speak. And she basically tells me, like, we don't need to think about that. It's just repress, repress, repress. Mm. This is a very, very Freudian household, I swear. Like <laughs> Yeah. But uh, Octavian insists that Varanus and Polo stay for dinner because they have become good friends of his uh, during the journeys and also because they saved his life. Then we have a, a minor and cut. There's a moment here. Wait, before like they go, they they eat. I, I just I like this because it's just playing at the show's themes again, the themes of Rome, where it's like uh, Atia's like, oh yeah, we'll set out some wines and some cheeses for them and whatever. And Octavian's like, no, they'll eat with us. 
and I think, what does he say? He says, it's perfectly acceptable. Uh, or no, he's like, blah, 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 for saving me. They were awarded horses and whatever, whatever. And Adia's like, ah, yes, it's perfectly acceptable for us to eat as equals because yep. they're plebeians. Mm-hmm. But after this, uh, we get a, a quick cut to Antony uh, going through the ceremony to be made the People's Tribune. The bribes seem to have gone through correctly. We then cut back to this dinner and Octavian is way more of a populist than I ever would have expected him to be just based on the first episode. He's got a little bit of right-wing energy with his, the slaves are taking all our jobs and everything, but he seems to care about the, the plebs of Rome and says that they, they are getting their money and jobs taken away. He, he cares about all of the people of Rome, not just the nobles. And I was pleasantly surprised by that. It's so weird how you can see like the the party lines. Like you really learn about people who are Catonian and Caesarian. It's like it's it's, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I was gonna say yeah that like um, Verinus labels himself as a Catonian, which is you know kind of specific because Cato is that older senator who wears the the black toga, mm-hmm. um, and so he aligns with that philosophy, which is definitely against Caesar. And so and he's they, he's part of Caesar's legion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. Great. Yeah, so I don't know. They have some verbal jabs about that, and Polo the whole time is is a pretty crass fellow as well. So He's yeah, going crazy on the food, and they have a whole conversation about like the rumors about Caesar. He's gonna ride to Rome with his with his army, and he's gonna take over everything. And Varinus says, "No man of honor would follow him." Polo immediately says, "Oh, then I guess I don't have any honor because I would absolutely follow him." Yeah. And then this blows my mind because like they're having this heated exchange and then like they leave. Right. Sorry if I'm stealing your thunder explaining the next thing. You're fine. But like they leave and uh, they're going like like, literally they're walking in silence. And Brindis is like, what's that you said? You said? And Paul is like, I didn't say anything. (laughs) Yeah, that was kind of (laughs) like. That's a weird. Brindis is like playing like this really lonely guy. Like he just wants to like he's like, oh, well, um, this is where I'm going. This is where my house is. This is where I live. you're going to a brothel. This is where a brothel is. Um, he just like gives Polo all this information. Well, homies, well, he I says guess. specifically, you know, there there are cleaner brothels in this area. In this yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's so. like it's so weird because you just see them fighting and like, yeah, they Verena's. They're like ideologically they are uh, batted against one another and just like everything about them is at odds. And then Verena's is like. Will you be my friend? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, and then uh, Adia also said at dinner, though, it's like, if you don't mind me saying, you two make unlikely friends. Exactly. (laughs) It's like that Star Trek meme. It's like that. I wrote that as a note of a, it's kind of a funny meta commentary on their buddy, buddy, buddy cop dynamic that we talked about last week. Mm -hmm. Um, And the only other thing I wrote on this was, Brainus was kind of, well, all we also was being kind of a bro for Polo. At least he thinks he was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I tell my friends where the cleaner parts of town are. Uh, yeah. You can keep going, Cole. <laughs> but uh, before they leave, it's like as they're walking out, Adia tells them that they can visit again and that uh, they should remain good, reliable friends to Octavian because he is in need of those. Very, very transactional relationship, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we have uh, Verena saying, hey, I haven't seen my wife and children in eight years. I'm going to go see them pop on over there here are the directions to my home here are the directions to cleaner brothels and polo decides to go off and do his best impression of mark antony <laughs> <laughs> we then cut to varinus meeting his wife 
Niobe for the first time in eight years, and she is holding a young baby boy. He is, I think, kind of understandably furious at this implication. Especially because before they get back to Rome, Polo is like, uh, they're talking, I don't know, I can't remember who they're talking with, but Polo's like, yeah, we're like, he's seeing his wife for the first time in eight years, he's like scared, blah, 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 what if she's missing teeth? What if she's opened her legs to what someone if she got else? And exactly, <laughs> yeah, 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 that is one of the lines, that's right. Um, and then... Varenus's worst fear immediately confirmed. Niobe has a child. He starts yelling at her. He yells at her and calls her a whore in front of everyone in the area. And she starts arguing with him and assures him that the child is not hers. She is not strayed. The child is named Lucius, and he is the son like, of his 13-year-old daughter, which is mm-hmm. still gross. But, you know, times. And also... Credit to Niobe because the her first words are "You're alive." Yes, <laughs> she thought Varanus was dead and did not cheat on him. Shout out Niobe. Yeah, that, also, that also kind of helps. That also kind of helps build the suspense a little bit because when you hear the phrase "You're alive," that means like, "Crap, I had this child like, this whole, when I thought you were dead." But the ta- the the turntables, as it were. <laughs> One quick note about Niobe. She's played by uh, Andrea Varma, uh, who uh, was on uh, Game of Thrones for three seasons. Uh, she plays Alaria Sand. Uh, she is Oberyn's lover, and she is Tala on the recent Obi-Wan Kenobi series. And she's Niobe yeah. in Rome. BP, I hate to tell you, Indira Varma is actually Cornelia, the woman that Pompey Magnus married. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke that no one else is going to get. Um, I, I also like, in, in all these Stays. scenes, like it keeps cutting back to Antony and his stupid little ceremony. Um, and yeah. he's, he's like so bored. That's it. so it's funny. So good. <laughs> it's so funny. I really like how they keep going back. Just for and a the second. only other note I had about the scene that's related to the show is that it already kind of seemed like they already had some tension together as a couple before this war even started. And I think now this war is kind of, now this is just kind of, we're seeing another side to this that we didn't think we would see. Mm -hmm. And then uh, they go inside and uh, he uh, is introduced to his daughters and they either haven't met him before or were young enough that they do not recall seeing him because they very clearly do not really understand who this man is and he goes to interact with them and the youngest one seems to freak out and then Niobe says hey no Mm -hmm. greet him like this is your father greet him as you should properly this is the second most awkward interaction between families I've seen in this show Adia and Octavian (laughs) at the beginning of episode one still beats it out Varenus is apologetic for his previous attitude and screaming at her in the middle of the street and uh is then informed that his wife thought he was dead because they'd stopped receiving his money from being a soldier a year prior. And when she went to go figure out what the deal is, she was told, oh, we don't make mistakes. The money's not here because he's dead. And then he asks how they've been getting by. And she says that her sister Lida and her sister's husband have been giving them money and helping them out. Verenus dumps out uh, a bag of spoils of war, essentially, and says... Oh, yeah, we don't have to worry about that. And she looks at this bag, which looks like it has some, like, golden teeth in it, but 
Uh, of note is a, a severed penis, which Verse claims to have taken from a man he killed. Didn't think that that would be worth money, but hey, Rome is weird, apparently. And he also talks about how their like, official money, like where they're going to get a lot of it, is tied up in uh, the slaves that are going to be sold when the time comes, so they'll have to wait a little on that. We have a quick cut to Polo engaging in what seems to be his favorite pastime. <laughs> he is enjoying himself. He really is. And then a, another quick cut, and they talk about how Antony will be tribune for an entire year. Then there's a, a scene of uh, Atia holding a secret meeting. Cato, Pompey, and Cicero all seem to be present. And then Antony shows up. I was initially under the impression that Antony was not supposed to be there, and this whole secret meeting turned out to be a bust, but I was immediately disabused of that notion. It's because when he comes in, Cato seems super shocked. He's like, Antony. Yeah. He's like, oh, he's going to say, why are you here? And so he's like, why are you wearing the red robes of a warrior inside Rome? Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, that's and that's. Antony starts to disrobe, and we all got excited equally, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then Cicero's like, no, that's not necessary, Antony. He's like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll just keep it on. He, he had no intention to take it off. So, yeah, yeah. Like, Antony is basically Caesar's emissary there trying to negotiate the compromise and octavian sneaking in listening you know his second favorite pastime uh sneaking in listening to politics we all know number one <laughs> yeah. is obviously still involves sneaking <laughs> but yeah caesar wants command over a legion province because that'll give him legal immunity from the the case that the senate seems to want to build against him pompey insists that caesar must resign within the next two weeks Despite Antony fighting him on this, they cannot come to an agreement and everyone leaves upset. Gosh, it's uh, this moment is a moment that I'm like, Caesar's a genius, and we just see it more and more because, like, he we we learn more of this later on the episode, but like, he just plays his cards so well. He's like, Yeah, I'm making Mark Antony Tribune, and people are like, Are you sure you want to do that? It's Mark Antony, he kind of ruffles feathers. But that's what Caesar wants him to do is like piss people mm-hmm. off and make them angry and upset. And and then, uh, yeah, because it like because Caesar wants an excuse to go to war and battle. And so Mark Antony kind of causes that because he upsets the the Catonians. And he has that a great line in this scene where like, you know, they're disagreeing. Yeah. Um, he's like, uh, Caesar may only have one legion, but snow always melts and the others can travel here whatever is what he's insinuating Mm -hmm. and they they say some more blah 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 and then uh or or no well he he, uh the the guy says uh i think scipio says back he's like that's a threat that's a threat and 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 oh my gosh mark anthony does the the old-fashioned no that's not a threat it's a promise he's like oh i assure you snow always melts Mm -hmm. like oh oh, baby it's gonna go down Everyone's leaving the meeting, and I forget who Pompey's talking to. Is it Cato or Cicero? Or Scipio? It's Cicero. No, no, it's Cicero, because Pompey essentially thinks that Antony is bluffing, because Pompey believes that Caesar's men is mutinous. We didn't talk about it last episode, but, like, Caesar totally, like, wanted... He was doing, like, psyops, like, telling Brutus his men were mutinous, which gets back to Pompey. And that is why Pompey so sternly believes that his men are mutinous, that this is all just a big bluff by Mm -hmm. Caesar. 
that see uh and then cicero advises you know if if caesar is weak that's when he's most dangerous you know the serpent will bite the deepest yeah 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 mm -hmm. that's why i chipped in when we were giving our words last week i was like i gotta say this brutus pawn because again yeah. another piece that caesar yeah. just played man but uh, we we cut to polo entering a bar and wanting to join in on a game of dice and they say oh where are you where are you from and he says he's from the 13th legion and everyone at the the table kind of stops and says hey you shouldn't say that around here this is pompey territory and you might might make some enemies with that and polo doesn't really react to it and just kind of sits down for the game well yeah he throws down yeah big fat stacks mm -hmm. that'll mm -hmm. keep losing yeah it kind of just shows that i think polo prior to this war may have had a possible gambling addiction i think polo know. has a lot of addictions and vices yeah and they all kind of culminate here in this these coming moments yeah <laughs> they really do but we have a quick cut to varinus having sex with his wife while ignoring the cries of his grandson niobe looks uncomfortable with this entire scenario uh, i did as well it's one of those like classic i've seen this in in quite a few shows it's like the war weary husband who's a stranger to his wife returns from war yeah. and they have an obligatory sex scene that neither of them are very into but it's like obligation and stuff like that there's and then there's a much more passionate scene that occurs in adia's household yes and uh yes. octavia uh gets an earful i am so surprised that we didn't get a cut to octavian listening to uh <laughs> antony have sex with his mother but i can only assume the reason we didn't see him is because we would have seen in the room <laughs> or that. no yeah no the, there was a cut to him it just it was in the sex scene you just didn't know yeah. he was there he's just he's behind a curtain he's under yeah. the bed <laughs> i also think they don't i think they focus more on octavia in this sequence because of what uh, pays off later. Yeah, uh, yeah. Episode. so good. Yeah, while they're having sex, Strabo is writing to Caesar about how successful Antony is. While everyone in the house is being kept awake by the sex, been there. I went to college. <laughs> <laughs> and we cut back to Polo being bad at dice and mad about it. Or is he? Because it turns out his opponent is cheating. And Polo wastes no time in rectifying that particular problem. <laughs> stabs the man in the throat immediately upon seeing the second set of dice. Like every every like time Polo moves his knife in that scene, it like embeds itself in someone's carotid artery or something like that. Like it's that insane. was I, I'm not gonna lie, I kinda agree with what BP said about disjointed action. This scene, I couldn't quite tell what was happening. Maybe that reflects how drunk Polo is, but all of a sudden, like, he also accidentally starts a fire as well, and he kind of escapes with this, like, gigantic head wound he sustained after killing half a dozen Pompeians. Yeah, he yeah. gets clocked in the back of the head by what seems to be, like, a giant torch, which, let me tell you, I had yeah. severely underestimated how serious of a wound this was. <laughs> me too. Which, like, credit to Rome, because, like, you see that kind of action and, like, you know, that hit all the time in shows, and, like, head wounds, especially the back of the head, that's scary business. Oh, yeah. And we, we very... And, and when you say shows, of course, Jacob, you're talking about films you've seen. Uh, Yeah, you know, well, ever since I watched the first episode, I've been broadening my horizon. Don't you know, there's so much television out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always... Somebody gets, like, there, there's always a saying, and yeah, Cinema Sins makes a joke at it whenever, like, something that should have killed them doesn't. They always make the comment of, they survived this, mm -hmm. and obviously, Polo survives this, but it shows kind of the, uh, 
the pain that he is going through. Well, yeah, because the next scene is like him stumbling into Varenus's <laughs> house. Varenus's house, and then like, he starts screaming, and he looks like he's wandering around like he's drunk. Yeah, but he's clearly he, just like dying. Yeah, he's literally half dead. Yeah, it's like it's like yeah, it's on Varenus's kitchen table. They call a surgeon and his twelve-year-old apprentice to uh, <laughs> do this like body horror experiment. Of yeah, putting, let me tell like, you, Roman doctors. Ugh. Yeah. Well, it's like, I mean, it's his skull seemed cracked, right? Like there was a fragment of his skull that had yeah. to be, there needed to be an incision and it had to be, the, the chip had to be removed. And then they mm -hmm. put like a metal plate <laughs> on top of it. It's like, that's going to get infected. All, all I can say is thank God for modern science, because one, he's not just having this surgery Two, They don't have, obviously with modern science, when you're having a pretty big surgery, most of the time they just put you under so you don't feel anything this this was just, just like painful and i'm like thank god for modern science weirdly one of my favorite moments in this episode that i thought was really funny is when they're they're hammering in like the nail for the new plate in polo's head and you just see yeah. his eyes roll back and like the 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 uh, show goes silent because he's going unconscious i don't know something about it's just really funny to me it's just really yeah good. yeah and, and then the doctor afterwards he's giving archaic <laughs> medical advice to varina yeah. like first first the pus will be impure then clean uh when will he wake up maybe tomorrow next week Never. Never. Here, here's a god you might want to pray to, though. <laughs> yeah, offer him up a rabbit. I hear it works. Yeah, the rabbits yeah. seem to work pretty well. <laughs> yeah, and, they, and that kind of harkens back to the, an earlier scene in this episode where um, Polo says that he just kind of prays to whatever god needs him, like to do something. Whereas mm -hmm. uh, most of them are saying they only believe in one god. We then have a, a small scene of Varinus going to the the slave market to check up on his slaves, see how they're going isn't told oh wait a couple weeks while we feed them so they get like more like more meat on their bones so they'll they'll sell more it'll be great i i did want to note really quick cole before Varinus goes to the slave market niobe asks him wait where are you going why are you leaving the stranger in our household and Varinus just says don't question me and then he goes like yeah, not in that uh... he also says not in that tone there's a uh Oh, there's a funny line. You're gonna have to bleep this word out, but I thought her response as it just cracked me up. How's this for tone? My father's. Oh yeah, <laughs> Naomi's great. You're also gonna have to bleep out the name that BP just dropped. Ha ha ha! Oh, sorry, Kay. Yeah, I sorry heard it. Uh, this um, uh, and it gets worse from here. Is not a good episode to be a fan of Varinus. Because episode one, I was like, Varinus yeah. and Polo, those are my dudes. And now I'm like, Varinus, man, you're big. Whoa, buddy. Come on. I'm I'm brave enough to say it. Like, he's got some real toxic masculinity issues, I feel like. Yeah, he really yeah. does. Maybe Jacob, not. as you say on the last episode that uh, Varinus is one of the good guys. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, how the turntables. Anyway, where were we? So uh, we then get a scene of Pompey and Cicero. They are watching a, a gladiator fight. It's one guy versus like eight people in what felt like an incredibly small arena. Like, was that just me? Like, it, it just looked so tiny. It was intimate for sure. Like, it looked like he was like going to be cuddling with these guys before he killed them. 
It also just feels like that um, Pompey is not very smart in terms of where he's doing his political maneuvering. And what I mean by that is like, he's in like earshot of a lot of people. And if he's trying to maneuver some plot against Caesar, that could really come back to bite him. Yeah. If he's, because he's not being very careful how one, how loud he's being and two, where he is. Yeah, Pompey and Cicero, they're they're talking, well, they're they're machinations. It's it's kind of complicated, but Pompey is asking Cicero to support Scipio's proposal at the Senate tomorrow, which is about Caesar. Cicero says, Why do you need me? I don't have that many allies. But Pompey says, No, you're the voice of the moderates. They are going to follow you, friend mm-hmm. Cicero. And the, the motion is that Caesar must disband his legions, return to Rome to stand trial, otherwise he'll be considered an enemy, an enemy of the state. And Cicero says, well, Caesar's not going to go for that. Caesar's just going to declare war on us. But Pompey, he's, you know, he's trying to play 40 chess. He mm-hmm. predicts Antony, who's the tribune, is going to veto this. But so, you know, they're not going to officially call him an enemy of the state. But Caesar will get the message that most of the Senate is standing against him. He does not have friends here. Um, Cicero says he can't vote for this in good conscience, but Pompey says that if you don't vote for this tomorrow, then I am going to Spain where my legions are and mm-hmm. you can just fend for yourself. So yeah, Cicero's in a bit Caesar. of a quandary. Yeah. Then uh, we cut to Varinus meeting the baby daddy for the first time, <sighs> and he does not approve of the young boy. Okay, we wrote down the same exact quote. It's just, it gets, it gets worse. Don't you know this girl is my property? Yeah. And, and Verinus just keeps insulting. Uh, the, it, it's not like too mean, I guess, but it's he's not like cursing at him, but he keeps like dressing down this like 13 year old boy. <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that. When do you yeah. become a man? He's like, next month. <laughs> so, so he initially doesn't approve, but Niobe talks him down and gets him to agree to the marriage. Yeah. They then go back inside and begin arguing about the boy. Polo seems to be awake. I was shocked at how quickly that happened. Power of prayer. Yeah. Truly. Must have, must have sacrificed that rabbit. <laughs> the only explanation. But uh, at the Senate meeting, Scipio puts forth the motion to brand Caesar a criminal. Cicero elects to go along with this, and so all the moderates join, and they uh, start breaking out. Like, a, a fight starts breaking out. It's, it gets kind of rough. Uh, and Cicero is like gesturing to Antony, like use the veto, come on. And Antony tries, but they can't hear him because they're all fighting and it's too loud. Yeah, that that was a really good scene. I thought because like I thought like Cicero legitimately looked terrified, and he's like screaming at Antony to veto this, yeah. and Pompey, who's like this was his plan. For Antony to veto this, he's also screaming and seems pretty worried that Antony like, needs to do this. Do this. Antony doesn't even know like his powers at all. He's just like, I'm, <laughs> "What's up, everybody? I'm Tribune. Didn't you hear? That's pretty cool." He's probably drunk at this meeting. Yeah. Imagine a U.S. Senate meeting turning into this. It's happened before. So, so pre-Civil War. Pre-Civil yeah. War. I mean, in two thousand in two thousand twenty-two, though, I would imagine I could see this happening. We can only hope. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. But uh, the majority of the Senate don't hear his call for the, the veto, so it is not accepted. Then Cicero and Pompey are desperately looking for an out because if Caesar is declared a traitor, 
he will be forced mm-hmm. to openly oppose Pompey and will have nothing to lose. And they're speaking to this decrepit old man who I'm not <laughs> sure his exact position, but is it in some like he's of some standing because they're all listening. He's like the scribe kind of. Well, yeah, I think it's like in informal parliament. He's like, you know, a uh, master at arms or something like that. But he's like, he's the basically a master of ceremony in Rome. His official title is curial magistrate. But it's like due to the procedure, he did not hear Antony, and it's a you know Roman politics is religion; they cannot resettle mm-hmm. it. Um, so they're mad about that. But they ultimately find a solution that if they call another Senate meeting and say that it is the same session, it's considered the same session. Then once they all reconvene and it's the same session, then Antony can easily make his veto, and disaster can be averted because right now Caesar is considered a traitor. They need to meet up again so Antony can veto it to settle things down i actually think that's pretty smart thinking because they were making that comment like we didn't adjourn this meeting technically and i think that yeah that's very smart yeah Cicero is a man who's read robert's rules of order <laughs> truly pompey declares that antony must be protected at all costs because he needs to be alive and safe so that he can use his veto when the time comes elsewhere Antony is also made aware of this fact, and unknowing of how on the same side they are, is all but certain that mm-hmm. Pompey is going to try to have him killed, and instructs Varinus to gather all of his men. Well, uh, to be clear, it's like, Antony learns there's going to be another Senate meeting tomorrow, but thinks that Pompey is going to try to set him up. Yes, thank you. We then cut to Pullo, playing with baby Lucius, and he's seems to be a lot better with kids than I had initially expected him to be. They are giving me such whiplash with Polo because it's like, <laughs> here's this, here's this brute. He's a, he's a killer. He loves gambling. Uh, and, you know, he likes to sleep around and maybe a bad guy, but also a really good guy. Just actually a good guy. Mm. Like good. <laughs> he's a brute with a heart of gold. He's good to Varinus. He's good to Varinus's children and grandchildren. He's like the ultimate homie. He's also good to... Uh, oh gosh, I'm already forgetting her name. Yes, Niobe. Niobe. Yeah. yeah. Niobe. Yeah. Like he's wingmanning Varinus because like Niobe's talking about how bad Varinus was and Polo's like, well, the whole time we were out at war, he was talking about how he couldn't wait to come home and see you. He never took another woman. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, Varinus and I have been best friends since day one and he, and he loves you. He's uh, the whole time we were at war, never took another woman. Unknown to them, Varinus has walked into the house and is hearing this conversation. Mm-hmm. It also kind of shows, like, how quick, like, going back to Polo for a second here, like, how well, like, well, he's treating all of them because Niobe trusts him as a confidant mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, he's uh, sustained a lot of head injuries, so, you know, he might not. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's only good with kids now. Niobe also says that, you know, she says, you know, I know you're lying, Polo, because Marina says that you're not my friend or you're not friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then he also defends that. He's like, yeah, he's yeah, he, he is what he is, <laughs> which I don't necessarily like that. He just kind of says it like that. But then uh, Verena uh, makes himself known and tells Polo that if he's able to walk, then that they are to meet at the house of Atia. And he gives Niobe some more money and tells her that he holds a deep affection for her, instructs her to keep the children inside for the duration of what's about to happen, and 
that they will talk when he returns, which, you know, good, good for him. Good for Varinus. It seems like he wants to try to do a better job. I sure hope he's able to return. Yeah. Adia continues to act like a harpy to Octavia. <laughs> it's time. It's time for the best scene of the episode. Everyone get in. <laughs> Octavia just side-eyes Adia and asks Antony if the screams that Adia releases during sex are as obnoxious to Antony as they are to Octavia. She then does a very accurate impression of what Hadia sounds like during said intercourse and then just grumpily starts eating grapes and Antony smiles and so she actually did a pretty good job. Yeah. Well, Antony's quote is great. He's like, she has you exact. Yes. <laughs> he's, like, he's playing long. He's having a great time. Mm-hmm. Ha- have you guys seen When Harry Met Sally, by the way? I was about oh, nope. to make the quote, I'll have what she's having. Mm. Well, it's like, I-, I didn't realize it when I watched it in 2017, but I mean, this is basically an homage to When Harry Met Sally, what uh, Octavia does happens in-, in that movie from the 70s. Just oh. wanted to credit where credit's due. Yeah. It's a movie from the 80s, but okay. <laughs> oh, is it? Okay. 1989. 87. 87. We'll have to fact check that. Yeah, I, I won't. <laughs> I won't. But we then cut to Antony walking to the Senate building with all of his men around. And the, they're looking at the crowds around him. And Polo sees a familiar face. He sees one of the men that was at the bar that he met. This is great payoff from seeing the title of the episode on the yeah. HBO app. is like mm-hmm. uh, Titus Polo, the man who brought down the Republic or whatever. And like, you know, they are not supposed to fight. And you see the man in the crowd and you're like, oh, it's all it's all going. It's all it's all going to fall apart instantly. You would know exactly what yeah. happened. It's because Polo's going to kill this dude. And... Yeah, it, it's all personal beef that like sets this whole thing off yep. because, yeah, Polo and the Pompeian, they lock eyes. The man stabs for Polo, who is right next to Antony. So Polo, again, whatever he touches just dies yep. like a mm-hmm. slice him in the neck. Yeah, and you can see Pompey just. He, he, you know, he, he you can kind of see the defeat in him and almost because he he's like, I'm done. You can hear the defeat, too. He runs out on these steps and he said, I said no blood. I said <laughs> no blood. Well, yeah, it's like, I mean, as soon as Polo kills the guy, all the Pompeians start attacking Antony's men and Antony's men obviously fight back. Varinus gets like stabbed. <laughs> yeah. Hurt. See that? I didn't know that until closer to the end of the episode because Harkening back to a problem I had in the very first episode is a lot of the action is up close and it's quick cut and things like that. And you kind of miss some things when you're I feel like something that important to the storyline should be seen clearly. I mean, it was a little disjointed, but I will say that I I I caught that it was Varinus that got stabbed when I watched it. Like I noticed it. Although, yeah, I did notice it, but I I could see how people miss it. Mm -hmm. But anyway. Antony's forces, uh, by the way, like Antony walking with all his men in the street, that's like uh, 30 tickets to minions, please. Like it's such a, you know, modern (laughs) stuff like that. But Antony retreats, the Senate motion stands, Caesar is then motivated to invade. Caesar gets the letter about what's happening and he's like, when's Antony getting here? About an hour. So Caesar assembles up his troops. Newsreader, again, like the best character he announces that caesar is the enemy is now an enemy of rome all citizens should try to do him harm and then you know get back to caesar's camp so uh, they they end up reaching caesar and uh, varinus seems to be in bad shape which i'm not 
very clear on how far Varinus's camp is, or not Varinus's camp, uh, Caesar's camp is that Varinus it was is... that injured, and they just tossed him on a horse and said, "Okay." <laughs> yeah. It is closer than it was in the first episode because in the first episode they're all the way in Gaul, but like I think they're near the border now. Is yeah, what it yeah. was set up. Yeah, I didn't say it in the first episode, guys. If it helps, picture Gaul is like modern France. That's basically what Caesar conquered for easy okay. access. So yeah, it's a ve- they are very much playing with how far you can ride on a horse and stuff like that throughout the series. Mm-hmm. Caesar is surprised that Pompey would act this aggressively. It seems very out of character. Antony tells him that he believes that Cato talked him into it. We then have Caesar saying that he wants to see what his men want to do next. I mean, he, he knows what he wants to do, and he mm. knows he's going to get the men to agree, but he, he has to put on the show. Yeah. Antony tried to wash up, and he's like, nope, yes. you're perfect as wow. is. Yeah, keep that making fun, this sends, the, this sends the message that I want. Um, oh, yeah, Caesar also asks Antony for any, any men that could be honored, uh, and Antony mm-hmm. tells him that Polo should be because he drew first blood. Wow. And again, like, mm-hmm. they don't realize either that the dude wasn't even going for Antony. He was trying to just kill Polo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Caesar gives a, a very rousing speech, which I, I didn't put the quotes in here. I didn't think I could do it justice, but I, he paints himself as a hero and mm-hmm. Pompey and his compatriots as a madman. He then asks Polo to step forward and gives him 500 denarii for drawing first blood. Polo then agrees to ride with Caesar and the rest of the men do as well with great cheer. Everyone is ready to go take Rome down and put Caesar in charge. So they start to cross the Rubicon Polo rides in a carriage with the injured Varinus. Varinus wakes up and realizes they're crossing the Rubicon and is angry. He doesn't want to be there. He is no traitor to Rome. He does not want to be a part of this. Just to be clear, guys, and check, does everyone here understand why Caesar crossing the Rubicon is so significant that Antony would wink at a child? (laughs) Uh, I I do. Uh... You want to take it away, Jacob? So, uh... I mean, uh, being an active general, I mean, it's hard to explain exact because um, Rome is playing with the actual history. Mm-hmm. But uh, essentially, if he crosses into Italy at this time, he is not allowed to do so. And by doing so, he is essentially declaring war or the fact that he is uh, attacking by crossing the Rubicon into the border of Italy. Yeah, because as a general, he's supposed to stay exactly. in his assigned territory in Gaul by yeah. crossing the Rubicon into Italy. He Even does though become in, the renegade. In the TV show, he's the consul, so he should be in Rome, but whatever. Does it does it say that for sure that he is the consul at this I mean, time? I think so. I'm pretty yeah. sure in the first episode they said that he and Pompey were both consuls. What I, I know it said they were rulers, but was it consul specifically? They never said consul specifically. I'll give okay, that. okay. Okay. But that's what I inferred from ruler. Um, I did want to say here, Varenus stays just having the worst luck possible and yeah. got stabbed. Um, and then he's like realizing he kind of sides with the Optimates and doesn't want to be a cesarean. And, he's, and then he's like, oh, we crossed the Rubicon. Um, I am now a rebel uh, against the country that I love. I don't want this at all. And I've been stabbed. Yeah, Polo tells him, yeah, it doesn't really matter, buddy, whether you want this or not. You're in it now. Mm-hmm. But uh, they... Uh, like, Varinus believes they will be crucified and killed, and also, I believe he's the one that comments, he knows that the man is going after Polo and not Antony. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, it seems like a poor decision on that guy's part. To, like, he's like, this is the moment that I'm going to kill that guy. <laughs> he's going to be around. Just like, yeah, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> He'll probably go to that bar again. 
um and then like the very final scene is like the public panic in rome it's like the dude it's like a i don't know it's like a comedy movie scene where it's like the dude just running around yelling fire in a theater he's saying caesar's in rome and everyone or caesar's in italy and everyone in rome is freaking out and the very last thing is like niobe breastfeeding the baby um i just want to check in we all pick up on the implication right yes yeah yes. uh, I, I made some notes oh. prior in the scene to, prior in the episode because <laughs> you had said i don't think jacob got it yeah he didn't i okay i have to say okay this changes a lot for me this is my least favorite scene of the episode i was gonna put on my bad because i was like this just feels uncomfortable it's such a close-up personal moment um but wow the first time i watched it i was like oh yeah i guess that makes sense you know i guess she, she might be able to nurse the baby yeah, she yeah. could be looking after it yeah sure that's fine um, but now I'm seeing what you guys are implying and I'm like, oh man, this changes a lot of what I think about Niobe. Not really, but because she thought Varenus was dead. This, I have to process this. <laughs> uh, earlier when you said, yeah, she, she stayed faithful and is taking care of the grandson. I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. When she, when she brings up that like, yeah, this is the are like my grandson like this is your daughter's i remained suspicious like i i still i didn't buy it who is the the father that uh, is a great question i'm not sure we know the answer to that how yet. was she we... able to convince the 13 year old to take credit for the baby and, and like when you know there were a few side eyes between the kid and verena the daughter um just like you know kind of looking back at niobe i felt like mm -hmm. I also, I mean, you think about you, Jacob, you asked the question about like, how does she convince a 13 year old to go along with this? I mean, if you think in that time period, like kids had to like mature their minds very quickly to understand like the situations that. They oh, were I mean, in. yeah, I know. It just seems like such a bizarre conversation to have. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just, yeah. There's a deleted scene where she says, uh, you're my property, so here's what you're going to lie about. <laughs> it feels like the conversation almost doesn't happen because Niobe didn't know Varenus was alive until she sees him. She runs into the house after being like, oh, this is bad, hands her the baby and says, oh, yeah, this is, uh, this is your daughter's baby. And the daughter's like, huh? What, what's happening? How about, guys, we get to just it uh, overall thoughts on the episode. Does anyone, like, want to share anything before we kind of uh, get breaking out here? I'll go first, just very shortly. I enjoyed this episode. I think it, you know, to a certain degree, I enjoyed this episode more than the very first one. I did not find anything that I disliked about this episode. It was pretty good overall. You get a lot more characterization of certain people, especially Mark Antony, and all the political machinations and maneuverings are, you know, they're interesting how they're, again, like trying to outmaneuver each other, but it's like the failure of personal relationships and Titus Polo's actions and that personal vendetta that in the show is bringing this all down. So it's a, it's, it's a pretty good episode in my opinion. It's, it's great. So many good moments. I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is my favorite thus far. It felt very like, it felt way more dense than yeah. the last episode. It felt like just like everything was happening all the time. And also I'm happy that Pompey, I feel got to show his chops a little more. I was not very impressed with the man in the first episode to not portray himself as a, a smart man or like a, what I would expect out of a leader 
from Rome. And in this episode, he, he was playing some 4D chess. It didn't exactly work out in his favor, but I don't know if I would say that that's his fault. No, yeah. no, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I really liked this episode. I they always say like a show always has two pilot episodes. The first one is really pure introduction and the second the next episode is really like the kickstarter to the official story storyline. Um and I think that this is kind of uh setting more wheels in motion for what is to come. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, let's see. BP, Cole, I'm going to kick you guys out to a breakout room. What you guys are going to do in there is have a conversation. What do you think is going to be happening in episode three or later on in the series, knowing what you know about historical events, however limited that may be, and just come back with a couple of theories you could share here. Um, uh, Mommy and Daddy are going to talk (laughs) about historical accuracy uh, right now. So yeah, Jacob, what did you think about historical portrayals this episode? I mean, I feel like the inaccuracies were just kind of like built upon from the previous inaccuracies. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, again, like Caesar is a, a allegedly consul and also a governor of the Gallic territories, etc. all at the same time. And, you know, we have this this much different force that is like the causal force for crossing the rubicon uh when in reality it was just like there wasn't really anything like you know yeah it it was mark antony didn't get attacked in the streets over it and stuff like that i think you know in real history caesar said that you know they're not taking antony uh seriously or they're threatening violence against him but you know it wasn't titus Mm -hmm. polo walking next to mark antony in the streets um jacob i don't you know I, it never came up in the series, but Lucius Verinus and Titus Polo are actual real people and real soldiers. Yeah, that yeah. Uh, Caesar wrote about. Mm-hmm. But they definitely play with stuff here. Let me think. Did did you have any, I don't know, questions generated from this? or? Uh, shoot. Um, I, I almost did a second ago, but it, uh, it left me. I, I think it's, there wasn't many historical inaccuracies or there wasn't many notable because like, it was a lot of personal dynamics, you know, yeah. this episode, you know, between Varinus and his family and Polo and his adventures. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before we let them back in, I just wanted to say this. If <laughs> corrects me about a film one more time, I'm going to drop that clip from uh, first episode. <laughs> We're going to so. do it. We're going to do it. Deleted <laughs> scenes, baby. <laughs> <laughs> all right they should be getting back here i didn't tell them that like uh yeah at an arbitrary time i mm. you'll be forced to come back in here so they might be in the middle of conversation right now we'll see who cares also i have no idea about like you know selling a swaby phallus how that has any value whatsoever right. i assume religious purposes i, just I sincerely like have no idea thing. i have no idea yeah all right bp cole i forgot to tell you guys that at any given point i would you know recall you back to our our senate chambers as it were um or mommy daddy's bedroom um but um i don't know if i want to be in there no it's fine hey we uh, who do you think i am octavian (laughs) hey mommy and daddy are no atia and mark antony okay (laughs) hey i don't know that anthony isn't his dad Oh, you oh might my God! Cold theory crafting podcast Whoa. information, but I don't know that. Yeah, my um, head canon for ancient Rome is that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but BP Cole, any future thoughts of where episode three could take us, or what we're going to see in the near future from from the show? Uh, I both that I'm very excited for two things mainly. 
I want to see Varinus's reaction to the whole thing about baby Lucius because there's no way he doesn't find out about that. And also, I want to see uh, Caesar and Pompey sit down and have a conversation. Like the, I am very excited for that. I countered a couple of those theories. I do believe that uh, Varinus does find out about Naomi and the baby. I could see that going into some possible dark directions with the story, knowing how hot-tempered Varinus is. And we kind of already see what that toxic relationship looks like. And I also am firmly believing that kind of like in the equivalent of Game of Thrones, where we talk about, oh, we're going to see two characters that should meet, meet and have conversation or have a fight, etc. Cole talked about Caesar and Pompey having a conversation. I think that that is never actually going to happen. I don't think they're actually ever going to have a sit down conversation. I think that things are not going to end bode well for either of them okay but okay, i yeah. don't see either of them really meeting up i also said that i don't know when pompey is gonna go out i could see it being like near the end of like the first half maybe a little later because i i really feel like the season is gonna end <laughs> with the uh, caesar's uh big moment so to speak ballot theory i think that caesar's big moment I mentioned it a couple on the last podcast where I said that I could see them waiting to have the big moment be the penultimate episode and then the finale kind of of the season kind of be the aftermath. I see Caesar's big moment kind of being in that being that hard home, being that red wedding, being that moment in the show where you kind of question where does it go next? Sure, sure. All right. Well, thanks for sharing, guys. I just realized I uh, did this a little bit out of order. I want to also share our favorite, funniest, and possible least favorite things from these episodes here. Let's start again with the least favorites. Uh, get the negative stuff out of the way first. Uh, Cobb, did you want to share? Or, you know, it, did you have one? Or is that negative? I now? had a negative one, but I have changed my thoughts on it entirely. Yep. So, no. Let's see. BP, did you have a, a least favorite part of the episode? My least favorite part is the part that was brought up as uncomfortability earlier in the episode, and that's the scene where uh, Varinus and Niobe are in the bed together. And the reason why it is my least favorite part is you can kind of get the vibe of why this relationship is toxic, which, yeah, it did its part, but it also is still my least favorite part of the episode. Yeah, we're just we're just a bunch of prudes. We just hate the nudity in this show. I'll tell you what. (laughs) Hey. Miley's favorite scenes have nothing to do with nudity. It's not enough. (laughs) Miley's favorite scene is every scene where they're not naked, actually. (laughs) Cole, what what is your your least fave from this episode, though? So I have a couple. My first one is that that whole scene with polo surgery. Not that I think it was unnecessary or anything. I was just grossed out and uncomfortable the entire time. I hated looking at it. was not happy. My other scene, I don't know if it's really a scene. Just with, uh, with the revelations we get in that last scene of the episode, I don't like Niobe because she has essentially destroyed her daughter's reputation to like maintain her own. And Who I us? find Who that reprehensible. Have? You know what? Fair point. I'll take it off. (laughs) Yeah, I will disparage my daughter's name all the time. All right. Well, we can get on to favorite moments coming up next year. I'll go ahead and take the lead on this. I 
maybe I'll suck some oxygen out of the room. I'm sorry if I do, but my favorite moment or just thing this episode was Mark Antony because the very, you know, the pilot episode essentially he has like three lines or so this episode we get so much more characterization from mark antony he in every scene he's in he has a lot of swagger he's got like kind of a bad boy thing going on he sort of relishes the evil deeds he's in he's very drippy with his general's cloak and if you would allow me i do believe that he's got that dog in him um arf, like... arf. <laughs> <laughs> oh man what what considered you there jacob um but he's like he's a good just counter to adia because just like her he really commands any room that he's in and like when he like he has so many good quotes this episode when he's when he meets adia he says oh god your beauty is painful you're the crucifix of venus the roman goddess of beauty that's good octavia's you know when harry met sally moments that's inspired by antony general antony does my mother screaming irritate you and then antony's quotes like uh she has you exact and then when the violence starts antony's like rally to me and he repeats it a few times and i don't know if you guys caught it to me it looked like antony was kind of grinning when all the swords came out like you know he, he's relishing he, he's relishing mm -hmm. in he's it yeah he he's a man of violence this is you know what what he enjoys in life so yeah mark antony this episode just like took it up to an 11 great character james Pierfoy, the actor excellent excellent job in this but who wants to go next for their favorite thing i will go because i didn't have a least um i do have to give an honorable mention to polo's surgery scene yep. i thought it ruled yep. i loved every moment of it um, it was gruesome, but like to see the medieval bone saws, like that's so cool and ingenious. I'm glad they had that at the very <laughs> least. Um, but my favorite scene, I got to I got to give it to my girl, Octavia. She knocked it out of the park for a, a, a wonderful impression of her mother <laughs> and then be just like, it's so funny. It's so funny. And we see a little, you know, we, we saw a little bit of Octavia growing a spine earlier in the episode, but now she's like, you know, full force, like, hey, hey, mom um you know catch these birds <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's my favorite bp favorite part of the episode my favorite part of the episode is actually kind of towards the end where varinus and polo are talking and you kind and the reason why it's my favorite part is i'm kind of questioning now where do they take varinus and polo because they're talking varinus specifically because he's talking about how he doesn't want to be on Caesar's side with this whole situation, but now he pretty much kind of just got put into the situation and Polo's just kind of like, yeah, we're, we're doing this. I don't know what else we can do, but I'm kind of strapped in for the red. I'm it, it's my favorite part. And if it doesn't pay off as well as I'd like it to, then it, I could change that opinion very quickly upon a rewatch, but as of right now, in this moment, that's what my favorite part is, just because I'm interested to see where they go with this. All right, Cole, favorite part? My favorite part was uh, the scene between Polo, Niobe, and Varinus, where they all, like, where Polo just has that, like, heart-to-heart -heart with her. He's playing with little baby Lucius, and he's yep. like, hey, Varinus really cares about you. Like, he's a good guy. He never, like, he didn't stray at all. And Niobe's talking about how, like, he's, like, a cold man, and that, like, while he was gone she wished for his return but now that he's back she like wishes he was gone again and that he's never said like a kind word to her or their daughters and then Varinus is like seems apologetic when he talks to him he's like we'll talk later like and he, he wants to be like a better husband and father than he has been thus far like I just I loved it it was a great heartwarming moment just like 
everyone being like nice and trying to be good people to each other. And I don't know how much more of that we're going to get in this show. That's also sad though, right? Because he's like, we'll talk when I get back. But um, guess what? He got stabbed and now he's coming back as an enemy of the state. Yeah. So that happened to a lot of people on January 6th. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Truly the Marinas of the, of the modern age. (laughs) Yeah. We'll we'll, uh, get to our um, funniest moments and we'll get on to our uh, much shorter quiz this week. So yeah, I'll go first in terms of funniest moments. Again, Anthony was on a whole nother level this episode. So it's like Anthony's actions that were funny, but towards the beginning, Polo, Octavian, and Verenus, they're waiting for Anthony to finish up, just waiting on the road. And Polo, he's talking about, I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to find some prostitutes. And Verenus saying, we can't talk about this under the standard. And Polo points out, what about him over there? Anthony having sex. And Verenus is like, well, he's he's not under the standard. So I, I he's thought- under a tree. I, I thought that was funny. I, I like that part the most. Cobb, your funniest moment? Uh, it's, it's a really small thing. Um, it's in the Senate chambers. After they've declared Julius Caesar an enemy of Rome, there's the old guy, right? And he's he's, he's basically in charge of keeping the peace. And there could not ever be a less qualified man <laughs> because everything he says sounds like it's it's like this man's voice cannot carry through people like attacking each other. He's like, peace in the chambers. like never has anyone been more ill prepared for an event than that man right there that's a great impression yeah yeah bp funniest moment hit us definitely the when harry got sally moment with octavia it is my second favorite part of this episode honestly probably could be tied for my favorite but it is the funniest moment just because of what mark anthony says immediately after the impression goes uh, super well. I cracked up immediately as soon as he said it. I think that Octavia brought it to the table. And yeah, funniest moment for me is that scene. Yeah. And Cole, to you? This one, I actually almost chose exactly what Jacob said. <laughs> like That man is in general was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but what I ended up going with is exactly what yeah. said. That whole bit of the Polo saying all the the trouble he's going to get into. And then Verena saying, come on, you're under the standard. Have some like respect. And Polo's like, what about that guy? He's, he's in, he's in charge of us and he's doing this. And he's like, he's, he's not under the standard. Verena's delivery. He's like, he's like, kind of like his heart, his heart's half in it. It's like, you know, he knows it's not (laughs) right. Yeah. Yeah. So welcome everybody to uh, our second quiz of HBO's Rome. This is a lot shorter. The standings as of right now, BP, eight points. Jacob, 8.5 points. To be halved, we'll see. Cole, nine points. We have five questions, gentlemen. Again, BP and Cole will answer first in an alternating fashion. And with that, we will go ahead and get started here. Remember, guys, this is kind of just a guessing game. Don't need to take too long. Heck, you might not even need to describe your thinking here. Just try your best. Question number one. Caesar implies that he uses money for bribes in order to get Mark Antony elected. True or false? At this point in Roman history, bribery and elections was an open secret and most politicians engaged in bribery. BP, I'm going to start with you. Is that a true statement or a false statement? I am going to say that it is true that he does use bribery. All right. How about you, Cole? I believe that the answer is true. They were an open secret. All right. And how about you, Jacob? 
True. All right. That is three points for everybody or one point for everybody. Yes, bribery was an open secret. Uh, this one was a bit easier. Now I'm thinking they get a little bit tougher. Mark Antony is elected Tribune of the Plebs this episode. How many Tribunes of the Plebs are there in Roman politics? Cole, this is going to be your answer first. There is one, two, five, or ten Tribunes of the Plebs. I am going to go with A, there is only one, because the way they phrase it, they called him the Tribune of the Plebs, which seems to imply that it is singular in nature. All right, BP, how about you? I'm going to guess 10, just based on the previous episode, because Pompey wanted to veto, and then, so it kind of seems like there are multiple people that have, like, one veto allow or something like that okay jacob you look rather confused how about you i just don't i just don't know what to think i'm just gonna go one gonna go with one okay okay bp you got this there are 10 tribunes of the plebs yeah one reason that roman politics didn't work so well is that uh 12 people or at least had veto power in the government Pompey is a consul. How many consuls are there in Rome? One, two, four, or there are usually none. Consuls are only elected in emergencies. I'm going to say B, just given by the previous episode and Jacob mentioning that uh, Caesar is also a consul, as is Pompey. (laughs) All right, Cole, how about you? I am going to go with A, because Jacob specifically stated that they didn't say that both of them were stated to be consuls. They were both stated to be leaders of Rome. Pompey was the only one named as a consul, and I'm taking Jacob's word on that. All right, and Jacob, how about you? There are two consuls in Roman politics. That Um, is correct. BP and Jacob picking up a point there. Jacob playing 5D chess, apparently. Uh, Apparently. All right, and I think we are all a little confused from the prologue as well, because it doesn't really specify who is what consul stuff like that and after caesar's mm-hmm. consul he does become a general and stuff which is you know yeah, it plays politics. fast and loose yeah yeah position, power. all right question four guys when lucius verinus meets and berates his daughter's baby daddy he says that his daughter is his property verinus as the head of his household is correct what is the name of the roman head of household the paterfamilias puertata Caesar or Padre? Cole, you are going to answer this first. The Roman head of household who runs his house like a, a, a platoon uh, is called what? Paterfamilias, Pertata, Caesar, or Padre? I'm going to go with A, Paterfamilias, because that one sounds the most Latin. Mm, okay, okay. Uh, BP, how about you? I'm also going to guess A. All right. And how about you, Jacob? Paterfamilias. Everyone gets a point there. Well done, well done. All right. Final question for this episode, guys. Caesar tells a bloody Antony not to wash up that he looks like a Leonidas at Thermopylae. Which film depicts Leonidas at Thermopylae? BP, this will be yours to answer first. Gladiator, Troy, Clash of the Titans, or 300 depicts Leonidas at Thermopylae? I'm going to guess Troy. Troy? All right. Cole, how about you? I am going to say D. 300 okay yes jacob how about you well i'll say something different too then i wanted to say troy but i've talked myself into gladiator into gladiator okay this point is going to be awarded to cole in the states leonidas here is the king of sparta that's right leonidas <sighs> like pompey says it leonidas but yes leonidas uh king of the spartans died at thermopylae with the 300 spartans and thousands of other allies anyways yeah let's see guys everybody got well no bp got four points there 
others had gotten three. So I think we got a pretty tied up uh, score mm -hmm. sheet right there, guys. Yeah. But we'll examine that more next week and we'll get on to our outro here. So thank you very much, everybody, for listening here. To be released next Friday is going to be our episode three coverage of HBO's Rome. And if you're interested in learning more of the real history of what occurred in this artful depiction, you can listen to Death of the Roman Republic, Chapter 11, Caesar's Homecoming, which covers the circumstances at which Caesar had crossed the Rubicon. If you have thoughts about HBO's Rome, you can tweet them to at DOTRRPod on Twitter. You can follow the show on Twitter. You can email thoughts to DOTRRPod at gmail.com. And of course, you can leave a rating on Apple Pods. My fellow host, do you have anything to promote or say starting with Jacob? I do have three words about Niobe. I meant to say we earlier. Forgot. Oh my god. Oh. Oh, oh yeah. Okay, Niobe, yes, is a new character that's important to be introduced and we didn't get three words in about her. Yes, Jacob, what are your three words? Yeah, and these words I wrote down before I had the revelation <laughs> about her adultery. So they were matriarchal, self-respecting and independent. I see, I see. Mm. If uh, you know, let's throw in a fourth there, Jacob. Uh, what What do you want the fourth one to be for Niobe after this revelation? Ooh, uh, 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 scrappy. <laughs> all right, all right. Good. Quick thinking on her feet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. And thank you for your quick thinking, Jacob, reminding me that we had forgotten to do that. And Jacob, what would you like to promote? Oh, if you think I am entertaining or humorous, you can follow me on Twitter at, at SoupCatFishYolo. And if you find yourself interested in the wonderful world of ecology slash biology slash evolution slash taxonomy, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you can watch my infrequent uh, YouTube videos at The Great Wilds, which you can also follow on Twitter at The Great Wilds. I, I was going to say real quick that uh, Jacob's personal Twitter at soup catfish yellow is a great follow especially if you like hunter schaefer content great work oh there oh my god yeah. uh bp wanted to share next yes i have two things one is an amendment i said when harry met sally came out in 1987 but it actually came out in 1989 so that i was correct on the decade wrong on the year but you can follow me on Letterbox at BP Oil Spill 98. I have actually recently just uploaded my top five favorite films of 2022 so far. Interesting. And Cole, how about you? Any promo? Nothing as of yet, but we'll see where the future takes us. Yeah. I hope you say that every week. <laughs> Um, let me see here. Cole, you helped me make sure our first episode sounded okay and you listened to it twice. Do you do you know the outro? Can you hit us with that? Uh, I can sure make an attempt, and if I do it wrong, we can edit it out, and it'll be fine. All right, Cole, give it your best shot. Friends, Romans, countrymen, I hope you enjoyed the show. Excellent work. Let's go, Cole. All right. Yeah, yeah.